Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome along to 101 Part-Time Jobs podcast with me, Giles Bitter, the only podcast in the world 
where you get to hear musicians that you're fond of talk about their part-time jobs they've had along their way. If they're not part-time jobs, maybe they're full-time jobs. Maybe it's things that they need to do in order to survive. I'm so excited to welcome Austin Crane of Valley Maker to the show. He's just released his new record, When the Day Leaves. It's a wonderful piece of work. I've been listening to it pretty constantly and it's been a brilliant record to kind of enter the start of spring with. If you haven't heard it already, I do recommend you go check that out right now or after the show, you know, whatever's good. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We're approaching the 101st episode and I've got something really exciting, or at least I'm excited about it, to announce on that day. East London Signature Brew have been brewing music-inspired beers since 2011. They're the official beer of 101 part-time jobs. They've made beers with Mastodon, Idols, Slaves, Sports Team, Craig Finn, The Darkness, and a whole bunch of others. And if you live in the UK, you can go onto their website, signaturebrew.co.uk, make an order directly to your house, and with the voucher code 101 podcast, all capital letters, you can get 10% off that order. All right, this is Austin Crane, Valley Maker on 101 Part-Time Jobs Podcast. Go well. Cheers! Oh, and if you're looking for plans this Saturday, 20th of March, Valley Maker's doing an album release stream for When the Day Leaves, and you can find more information on that and get your tickets at valleymaker.gctv.stream. Austin, thank you so much for joining me today. I've been loving listening to your record. And do you know what? I've been listening to it on my Alexa. Have you got one of them? The, the bass is good. Oh, that's cool. Nice. Yeah, I, I do not. I uh, am pretty low tech in my life in a lot of ways. Uh, <laughs> but I'm trying to be better at that stuff, especially like in a in a season of the pandemic when shows aren't really happening it feels like i've been kind of realizing that uh there the degree to which i'm going to have like interaction with people around this release at least for the months surrounding it is going to be uh in the digital sphere mostly so i'm I'm trying to uh trying to get better with that stuff but i i haven't quite gotten a home uh smart speaker yet yeah i can see that i mean your new record when the day leaves it, it sounds to me like it's coming from a analog kind of place Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, that's like a real, I, I have a few different kind of moving parts in my life too, which we could talk about if it's interesting. I, I've been working on a PhD, which I'm almost done with. And I, I teach some classes online geography classes. So I, I feel like for me, I'm always uh, trying to, I'm, I, I'm not like too busy, but it's just because I have a few different like spheres of life. Uh, music, uh, you know, music is a huge part of like how I spend my days, but like making sure I carve out some kind of pure time to just be like with my instruments and writing and not just on like the computer it feels like something that is has to be a bit of a discipline for sure. Speaking about discipline, you, you're doing my job for me. Asking about part-time jobs, being a being a geography teacher, that must take up quite a lot of your time. Yeah, I really like it. I, uh, you know, like even I guess well before I had any idea that uh, I could be a working musician or a touring musician or, you know, on a label and kind of continue to put out records. I have been really interested in, uh, I don't know, like the world and the connections between people and uh, like issues of like migration and international development and things like that. So I, uh, I've been in grad school for probably too long, a very long time. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, uh, I, I studied like, uh, I studied some of that stuff for my undergrad. And then after working a bit, I, uh, I did a master's in geography and then carried on into the, the PhD. And that, that was when I moved out to Seattle in like 2013 range to kind of begin the PhD process, which I am, uh, almost done with, but yeah, that, that was kind of, uh, that was what brought me out to Seattle to go to the University of Washington there. And then, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm up always like since I was 13 years old, have written songs and kind of music's been like my favorite thing to do. And I, you know, when I'm like by myself and especially when I'm with my friends, I've always been in bands and stuff. And uh, it wasn't really until I moved to Seattle that I felt like I had a context for like how to grow a project and m- met some people to to kind of help with that. But, you know, up until that point, I had really only played shows locally and done, done a bit of like really DIY regional touring. But once I was in Seattle, I kind of was able to start opening for some art touring artists who were coming through and got connected with a label out there initially for the, for two releases ago. And then, um, in 2018 got hooked up with French kiss and was able to start yeah, just touring a lot more. And so it's, it's been, <laughs> I feel like these, all goes to say these two, uh, kind of roads or pursuits or like teaching and academia and research and, uh, on one hand and music on the other have kind of evolved pretty organically in relation to one another and in relation to where I'm living over the last, uh, last decade or so. And being in Seattle, that's obviously got so much, so much history and music. Did, did you ever find it hard to, you know, was that hard to not get too excited about that? Have you found a, you know, have you found it okay to be satisfied in, in both of those realms, the teaching, the academia, um, but then also, also playing the music? Cause I can just imagine that, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get really excited about one of them and being in Seattle, you might be, might be getting too excited about the music and kind of neglecting the academia and the teaching. Has that happened to you? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I think I, you know, sometimes it is stressful to do both well. And then sometimes I have to be a bit seasonal. Um, and I think, you know, like a season when you're like releasing a record is obviously like pretty intense and there's a lot of things to do. Or when you're on tour, there's a lot to do. But then there's there's times when, when I'm home and, you know, like I, I feel like a good chunk of, if I think on average of the last five years, when I've not been on the road, um, you know, it's, it's really nice to have some balance and to be able to kind of, I don't know, they use pretty different parts of the brain. I think, I mean, there are some, some overlaps that, which we could talk about, but I, I think that like in a lot of ways, it's been really, uh, generative and kind of mutually beneficial to be able to do some more kind of analytical work or, you know, teaching is very much like its own process that I love and very kind of interactive discussion based with with other people and kind of sharing ideas and stuff so that's those those are two kind of terrains and you know writing a article for academic publication for example is, is very analytical whereas like on the other hand when I like pick up the guitar and go into the the headspace of songwriting I feel like that's that's a space for me like not to try to like put a pin on things you know not to try to like arrive at a conclusion or like a clear understanding necessarily it's it's a space to kind of enter enter the mystery of being alive and kind of encounter some of those big questions that I feel like I'm often sitting with and many of us are often sitting with about what it means to be alive and what's happening around us and to be in relation with other people I think songwriting is a space that 
I think for, for me, um, yeah, allows me to engage that stuff. And then, uh, you know, then you put the record out and go on tour and, uh, then it, it also can be very relational too, which I love. I, I feel like I'm, I'm missing that so much right now. Just, uh, I, I don't think I realized until the, the pandemic hit and we got well into it, how much of my community and like social interaction and, uh, <laughs> like, uh, just, yeah. Connection with other people was centered around, uh, the ongoing reality of, of music in my life and, uh, all the beautiful people around the world, including in the UK that have come into my life through that, you know? So, uh, so that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's a few things that come to mind about that dynamic between the two. I think we're going to need some practice when gigs start happening again and parties happen. Cause you know, we haven't, we haven't been that good at socializing. I think we might be quite <laughs> bad getting back into it. <laughs> Man, I realized recently I've turned into such a weirdo because I'm just I'm home all the time. I I never leave my house right now. I'm just I I take my dogs on a walk or something. But other than that, I'm I'm just here. And uh, I met with someone at the University um, of South Carolina, where in the city that I live in, and they're actually back on campus. The students are back, and I I went on campus like with my you know mask and hand sanitizer, and just felt like I I could tell how much my like psyche my mental psyche had changed just being in a space with a lot of other people walking around and, you know, it's just, uh, I think you're right. Yeah. It's hard. It's a little bit hard to imagine being in a packed room of people at a concert, even though that's like the only thing I want a lot of the time. Like I miss that. So bad, but it's also like, going to feel weird. <laughs> yeah, totally. That, you know, what you said about being seasonal, that makes so much sense to me. And it just makes me think that we're not really taught that we can be seasonal in our vocations. Do you know what I mean? It's not really something that a lot of jobs can offer you. You know, the fact that you can go on tour six months in the year and then and then do that job the other six months. And on, on a deeper level, maybe it's a bit of a, a kind of Bowieism. It's like, you know, there, we got we got so many different sides to us. Do you know what I mean? We're not just a goofy person or a happy person or a sad person. Uh, you, you know, what I mean, there's loads of different ways to to be. And that's something that the outside world sometimes doesn't let you know can be possible. Yeah, I, I, I love what you said and totally agree with it, that we all are you know, an amalgam of different things. And, you know, it's, it's especially as we age and get older and, you know, I like, especially for me having moved to this place where I grew up or close to where I grew up, it's about an hour away from there. Um, you know, like I think this, this move from Seattle back to South Carolina definitely brought up a lot of those questions, you know, especially nearing the end of the PhD. And <laughs> it's basically as soon as we moved here, uh, the pandemic set in too. So I, I would, I would not say that I have that balance figured out for sure. It's, it's a very open-ended question for me. Like the world, the world feels, uh, like unbelievably uncertain right now and the future feels like that. But, um, but that being said, I, I really do, uh, I deeply, uh, affirm and believe what you said about like us having multiple parts of who we are and, uh, and yeah, it being a like healthy and beneficial way to live to try to like keep those active and 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 mutually mutually uh reinforcing even kind of of those different if we can kind of be honest about that fact that i'm not just one thing or i don't do just one thing with my life like you know at the level of personal identity you know just to take it easy on ourselves even <laughs> like the, the need to feel productive and accomplished and everything it's like it, it uh 
so some days I struggle with that for sure, but it also is like uh, cool. Uh, and I, I love, I think the reality of like teaching regularly, that's very cyclical, you know, semester to semester and then music with the seasonality and cyclicality of different records and different tours. I feel like it's, it's a chance to continually try to build something, you know, and, and you're always doing that with other people too, which is going to change, change it every time, you know, the people who are involved on a record or the students in a class or, you know, the people who are coming to the shows. So it, it, uh, there's, there's a kind of humanity and interaction and kind of, yeah, like the chance to collectively build something in these two different worlds that I'm in that I, that I always really feed off of and, and enjoy a lot too. And it's, it's cool to, uh, I'm realizing, excuse me, I'm realizing with this uh, record coming out, uh, how much like happier I've been the last few weeks just to be able to like have a a project, you know, and something that I'm kind of like building and getting to have conversations like this around. Um, I always feel like that at the beginning of like a semester with teaching too. It's it's just really kind of fun to meet the students and start start that process and everything so yeah that's that's part of it too i think the kind of continually yeah having having projects that you're building with other people i i I dig that a lot in the context of you know the music industry and i'm specifically thinking about press releases it's kind of a, a press officer's job to sum you up to define you as one or two things to journalists you know trying to sum you up trying to shape you to put you into make you something that's easily disseminated easily written about which completely makes sense um but i'm just thinking you know but your but your first album came out in 2010 self-titled and i suppose you know since 2010 that's given you 11 years to think about how you want to be represented how you want to be defined or summed up in that way that makes you easily digestible as, as a musician Yep, yep, for sure. And I, uh, I always, every time we work on a bio for a record, which I've done a few times now, it's always, uh, you know, a bit of a long, long-winded conversation that then gets whittled down and whittled down, just uh, to try to try to create a bit of a bit of a narrative or a yeah, yeah, an identity around the release. But I think honestly, with uh, with this new record, that was a little bit easier because this move from uh, move from Seattle to South Carolina is a pretty uh, foundational or fundamental dimension of, of this record. And uh, even how it was made and the headspace I was in around kind of writing it and recording it. So I feel like that, that kind of uh, was uh, in terms of like telling the story of the record and the, the season of life that surrounded it and uh, getting that kind of biography together that, that to me felt like a pretty immediate uh, space to be in, you know? saying it again it's over a decade that you've been able to reflect on on what you are who you are how you how (laughs) you want to be represented to the world does is there a fearlessness that you can develop over that time yeah I, I I hope so I mean that's I'm always like I feel like being honest with my art and music and how the ways in which that exists in the world has always been something that's felt pretty important to me but then you know like especially especially in my early mid twenties when I was kind of starting grad school, I definitely think for a while I was like, is it okay that I am like (laughs) playing music or like share, like, I don't know, like, like, can I tell people that I do this or I don't know. I, uh, I think for definitely part of me, 
uh, growing up as a person and uh, figuring out who I am in the world is just trying to be pretty, pretty honest and transparent about like, not, not like I have the answers for how to strike a balance between like life and academia and music, but at least that being something that I uh, am like pretty committed because I really love both things, you know, out of a place of sincerity, like it's something that I honestly want to kind of try to figure out as time goes along. And, uh, and, you know, like, like money and finances is one part of that, but I think it also like, we only have so much time on earth and only so many days that were that that were healthy like not to be heavy but i just i feel like i i part part of getting a little bit older too is just trying to be like really present to to the time that i have and how i use that and yeah creating space for for the things that i love and i don't i don't think it makes sense to uh in line with what you said earlier that we're all like a mix mixture of different things and have different seasons to our lives and parts of who we are i don't think it as, as I've gotten older, it hasn't made much sense to try to artificially enforce like boundaries between those things or, or not be honest with people about kind of who I am or where, where I want my life to go in these ways. And, and it's been, it's been really meaningful. I think on the academic side, like if I think about my PhD advisor, who is like the best person in the world, I'd really just appreciate her so much. And, uh, you know, the folks at French kiss are like, the booking agents that I work with, uh, for concerts and stuff, I feel like, uh, being able to just be honest about what I want from life and how I see all this stuff kind of coming, like, or how I, how I want to have like a open, a future that's open to different possibilities for balancing these things. Um, I think that's, that's been something that actually, um, maybe because it leads partly to generative conversations like this and has like a bit of narrative around the, the music as well. Um, but I, I think it's been something that people have been like to me, surprisingly open to and accepting of, and kind of even like, I don't know. Yeah. Encouraging. They've encouraged it. So yeah. Great to hear. Have there, have there been times in your career where you've thought, Oh, this doesn't, this doesn't feel like me. You know, you've gone down a, gone down a route and maybe it seemed right at the time, but you know, you started it and it wasn't, it wasn't feeling like you. Has that happened where you've had to sort of do a 180 on yourself? Uh, I don't, do you mean that in terms of like the industry or like specific projects or? Yeah. People you're working with, but you know, mainly yourself. Have you found yourself kind of run away with, with what you're doing? I mean, we all have the ability to kind of let our egos get the best of us sometimes to think something's a good idea when it might not be. Sure. I, I, I feel like um, if I think about the music side of my life, I, I and it's probably partly because of, like I mentioned a little while earlier, the the part of the country that I grew up in and the kind of context that I lived in. Like I, I didn't know anyone who was like a working artist. You know that that wasn't on my radar as like something that, that like you could be uh, quote unquote when you grow up. You know, yeah. So yeah. it's I, I honestly. Uh, and, and I'm just so aware too that like to what to whatever whatever degree to which I'm able to do music for my job that depends on people coming to my shows, people buying the merchandise that I have, people like listening to the music online, people like yourself wanting to have conversations like this, you know. So I I I've always like I've always tried to kind of maintain a. I don't know, I guess like a humility around that or like a perspective around that to just be like, I, I don't deserve 
a career in music, in music. I'm, I'm going to work hard for one and I, I'm going to uh, do the best work that I can. But it, if I get to have that or for the years in which I get to be, uh, be like a working musician or devote time and energy to that, um, which is the way I like to think about it more than money. It's like, you know, like the, the time, the time that I can devote to music will be largely based on people like believing in what I'm doing and like, and supporting it. And, uh, I, I don't know for, for me mentally, I think that helps me stay in a like place of kind of gratitude and acceptance a lot more than like wishing things, wishing things were better than they are, or, you know, like not being satisfied or something. Cause I don't know. It's, I, I, th- this is not my phrase. I've heard a lot of people say it over time that like music is not a competition, you know, like I, I really, I really believe that. And I think that music is, uh, <laughs> music is also not like a job that, that I feel like I deserve. It's one that I love and one that I feel so like truly like, uh, grateful that I, I've been able to, uh, to do in the last few years. But I, I you know, it's, it's something that, uh, something that I try to keep, keep perspective on. And yeah, just, just if I'm tempted to get into a bad headspace about it, just remember like, I don't know, like last, last summer I got to, uh, I got to tour Europe for like five weeks with Steve Gunn, who's an artist that I've loved for a long time. And, you know, like, like I, I just think about certain moments that have like happened or like good shows or, you know, it's, it's like, I've already had like, or like a label like French kiss that I've known since I was like a teenager is like putting out my, music now or you know like I'm on a booking agency with a lot of artists that I have like that I listened to way before I like even moved to Seattle or whatever so I I I don't know I just try to kind of think about like the journey of my life up to this point and uh be like grateful for things that have happened and you know that that's not to say I don't want like my project to grow more or like that I don't like have hopes for the future and things that I want to work towards I, I certainly do but I try to just just for myself like mentally try to kind of keep that all in perspective and in that way you know absolutely i love doing this podcast and i also produce at soho radio which is an internet radio station and you know i I think sometimes you'll have those down days where you think i love what i do i love what i do but i wish i didn't have to freak out so much about um you know it not being full-time or not being able to make like a a proper wad from it do you know what i mean and i think that it's easy to get down on yourself. Sometimes it's hard to pick yourself up from those days. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, uh, I definitely struggle with those thoughts from time to time. And I think especially in the past year, uh, you know, we moved back to South Carolina from Seattle about a year ago for, for my wife's job. She, she, uh, she delivers babies. She works in a, in a hospital and, uh, she's a midwife. Yeah. Which is amazing. And I, you know, I like, I have so much awe, awe and admiration and like, respect for the work that she does. And when she, uh, she got this job offer in South Carolina, like, I guess a year and a half ago, I I remember like the moment in Seattle where it was just like, well, we're obviously like moving because that's where our family's in that area. We have a ton of community. It's a lot more affordable than, than Seattle. And, uh, yeah, it just, but you know, like, uh, the reality of that move was like, so what does that mean? What does that mean for kind of my vacation? And, uh, like, it felt like, us being in a more affordable area meant that I would be able to like kind of rest in the fact that I'm like doing music and there's not enough as much like pressure around that. Like when you, as when you live in a city like Seattle, but, um, 
yeah, it's, it, and then the pandemic hit, like kind of right when we moved here. And all, I had a lot of tour dates. Like I don't know how many, like upwards of 50 to, to 75 tour dates get kind of canceled and are perpetually moved back now into, you know, the outer reaches of this year. So, um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely been, you know, that those conversations are always, uh, are those thoughts are, are, you know, they don't go away. You know, there's a lot of pressure to sort of, particularly around aging, like I, I'm in my early thirties now and it's sort of like a time definitely where like your friends start having kids and getting like promoted in their jobs and all that stuff. And you're like, well, I, was gonna tour this year but no i can't fuck <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's it's a mental uh trip a little bit for sure yeah i get i guess one of the best ways you can describe valley maker is that you know you're a folk artist and being a folk artist that's a that's the definition of a working musician right definitely yeah you don't like have the sense that you're ever going to be like playing stadiums or something it's like and, yeah. and, and honestly i love that about it like i uh I love playing small venues and the immediacy of that and the kind of, yeah, like the humanity of it, like, like the kind of ability to, I, I do, I always like it whenever I can, whenever it's practical, I, I like to be at the merch table, like at my shows. And I don't know, I, I probably because when I'm not touring, I'm just like home a lot with my writing, my PA, writing my uh, dissertation and teaching online and stuff. So, so, uh, I feel like getting to, uh, getting the tour is uh yeah it definitely i love the the aspect of it feels like like a job that i love you know and you tour alone do you i mean talking about the financial aspect of it anyone can see how when, when you're touring alone you and an acoustic guitar maybe you can take public transport and you know the ta- the the take home from it will be we bigger you know frankly Definitely. Yeah. I, uh, I, the, like Valley Maker as a project for me is kind of at this point after it's been in existence for 10 years or so, even though I've only been touring maybe half that time, I, uh, I kind of see it as like a first and foremost, I guess, an avenue for, for my songs. But then, uh, beyond that, like a pretty large tent of collaborators who live, uh, live kind of all over the country at this point. So, uh, Touring, I, I, every tour is a little bit different, and I actually love that. Um, part part of that is certainly practical considerations, like yeah, what are the budgets for the shows? Because it's important to me to like be able to pay people and at least something for their time. And uh, you know, like so if if the, <laughs> if the show budgets are small, like not taking five or seven people out, you know, is like a, a wise thing to do. Uh, but you know, also like regional considerations, I. Uh, especially living out in Seattle. I wonder if this will change now that I'm in the, on the East coast, but you know, Seattle is quite peripheral in terms of, uh, where it's at in the, uh, in the geography of the United States. So like to go on tour from there, if you're not going to get on a plane and fly somewhere as like a bit of a commitment, you know, you kind of set out. So, so I feel like historically I've, I've had like some people on the the West coast that I've, I've toured with for shows in that region. And then a few folks like based out of the Southeast and, uh, on the East coast for shows like on this side of the country. And then Europe, uh, Europe has tended to be solo more than with a band just cause the cost of getting over there and stuff. But, uh, and, and it's nice to be able to do it solo, um, too, just for, for supporting tours as well. I think like just, you know, cause support budgets are always pretty low understandably. And, uh, it, that that's a nice way to be able to do that um as well 
How do you reconcile between playing alone and playing with a band? Because they're going to be two different types of performances, right? Do you see that as an opportunity to 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 show different sides of you? I do. Yeah, I uh, I think, you know, solo for me definitely takes more focus or like I feel like I have to be really present to the song itself and the the performance and obviously that's something I always want to do but uh but I feel like when it's solo you feel a little bit uh exposed (laughs) in that way you know but uh uh, part of that for me as has over the years has been an evolution of like even the guitars that I play and like what I do like I've started like solo, I always like to play, whether it's an acoustic or electric guitar, I like to have an amp up on stage that creates a bit of, you know, some reverb that creates a bit of like an atmosphere uh, around just because that, that feels a little bit less stark to me, you know, but, um, honestly I, and then like playing with a band does feel like something, especially, you know, some of my songs are more like groove oriented than others. Like, so if it's a solo show, I'll, I'll lean a little bit more on the finger picking kind of songs. Whereas if it's a band show, I'll change the set list a little bit more towards that. But, uh, you know, also for the songs that I would play the same way that for the songs that would be in both, both sets, solo or, or band, I feel like it's honestly so fun to, to like inhabit the songs that I write differently. Does that make sense? Like, like Definitely. to have a song that feels like one way solo and then like very different with a band like maybe we do an extended intro or like speed it up or slow it down or like you know make it groove a little harder I I don't know like it's it's really cool and and in general I like to see songs as kind of like living artifacts that like are very dynamic in terms of what they mean how and that can change over time and evolve between different people or even for me the meaning of a song can change over time but I also love that like you know, like songs are also things that like in the context of a tour that I write, you know, in the, in my house and then bring out on the road and share with four or five other people. And that feels like very different and like an evolution of that, uh, of the song as an artifact and something that can kind of, uh, like blossom a little bit differently every night. And that's, that's one of the things about touring that I honestly love. Um, and it's also like, it depends on the room you're in and, you know, so that's, 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 there's a, uh, yeah, dynamism is probably the best word or kind of a different possibilities for how the song can feel that I feel kind of addicted to. That's like one of my favorite things about, about touring. It's nice to hear that you don't feel pressured about making any hard and fast decisions. Like, you know, you don't always have to be a solo artist. You don't always, you know, have to be a band that, that freedom must be enjoyable. Yeah, I I uh I kind of like uh, yeah, I I do not feel like that. I I like the ability to um do do tours differently and uh one 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 way that I have toured before and I hope I get to do more of as well is with my my friend Amy Godwin who sings on the record and she's actually sang on all all of the records that I've done as Valley Maker. Her voice is amazing on on some of those songs on the new record. Ah, uh, thank you. I guess I should say uh I'll pass that along. But uh, I agree with you. <laughs> she's she's great. Um like and and it's probably my closest collaborator over time. We've been really good friends for like since we were in in college like 10 12 years ago and have like she lives in Portland, Oregon now and is a choir teacher, so we don't get to tour very often together but um every once in a while while she and i will do like duo shows with just just a guitar and two vocals and that's that's another uh way of playing and touring that i really really love and 
hope hope can happen again soon. I guess something that you're always naturally going to be, you know, pressured to look towards is the future and how you see how you see what you're doing in the long term. Sure. We've, we've touched on it already a few times in this chat between education and teaching and then playing as Valley Maker and, and across other musical projects. How do you see those things continuing? Can you imagine there's going to be an impasse or one of them, one of them's going to take over the other? Yeah, it's that, <laughs> that's a, I wish I had, <laughs> sorry, a, no, 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 I, I wish I had a uh, better answer to that. That feels like the million dollar question of my life right now, but, um, yeah, I I hope I, I can tell you what I hope for. I guess that that I can strike a balance between kind of being able to be an educator and a sustainable like. So I'm gonna finish my PhD. That's that's the first thing, and I'm I'm like working on my dissertation every day. Like even this morning and after this interview, I've kind of like got my got it up on my computer and have, <clears throat> have been plugging away. So that's that's the goal first and foremost, which I'm tr- hoping to do by middle of this year. And then you know if if shows are back, uh, back online, which, you know, hopefully they will be by late summer or fall, I'll, I'll gladly kind of step into that for a while. And then, you know, to, to play some shows on this new album. And then beyond that, um, I guess I could just say what I'd hope, hope for, which is to be able to kind of be based in a school or like, you know, college or university, like where I'm able to, to do some teaching. Uh, but like, also, whether it's in summer breaks or, uh, you know, like semester by semester, kind of make the decision uh, to, to uh, yeah, carve out some space for for shows, how those can happen. Um, you know, as much as I love playing shows, I'm also like not super inclined to be the person that's like on the road, like 200 to 300 days a year. You know, like I keeping tours in the uh, two to four week zone and then being home for a while. So uh which, you know, you can cover a pretty good bit of ground in that amount of time. And, you know, so uh, I, I definitely think it's possible and plenty of people have done it um, where to sort of be like ha- have a have a life and vocation as an educator and then play, you know, several months of shows in any given year kind of around uh, around the flow of that. So that's that's what I'm always like working towards and imagining for the future. And yeah. So we'll see. And then, you know, if, if music got to a point in which that could be just like full time and I could be a bit more. Yeah. Who knows? We'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what the years ahead hold. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm committed to uh, to trying to see what's possible. What are you doing your PhD on? What's the, the title of your dissertation? The title of the dissertation is the uh, I could look it up here. I forget. It's it's changed a few times, but essentially, it's a uh, it's like around the the politics of humanitarianism and how the kind of conflicts that are involved in uh, the spaces of humanitarianism around migration in the European Union. Uh, I did a lot of uh, kind of qualitative interviews and observation with uh, different humanitarian organizations, like in London and different different kind of major cities like Berlin, Hamburg. Uh, Brussels, diff- different cities around Europe that have uh, have a lot of migrants living there, particularly uh, recently arrived asylum seekers, and uh, these organizations kind of help those migrants like navigate the process of seeking asylum, and then figure out what to do uh, if if they receive a negative decision, like if they're not allowed to stay, which is a really kind of uh, difficult, like very difficult space for the migrants to be in because they're already in Europe but uh, are having to navigate 
you know, the decision to try to stay and like appeal the asylum decision or, you know, move to another country or like go back home or, you know, like, and, uh, so there, that's, that's a space in which like humanitarian organizations are trying to, uh, yeah, give advice and provide resources and outlets. But, uh, it's also, uh, we, we live in a time, uh, in the U S and the UK and in much of Europe where governments, at least parts of our governments are seeing migration as a, as a threat and as a security issue, uh, or there's, you know, definitely political, political, uh, pressure that governments feel around that from perhaps, uh, I might say racist, but, uh, you know, like right wing kind of, uh, movements in society, uh, that it's arbitrary, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. But, you know, it, it creates these really difficult situations for migrants who are living in pretty extreme limbo. And, uh, I guess the motivation for, uh, the motivation for my PhD was to try to understand how humanitarian organizations and particular humanitarian actors navigate that, that pretty, uh, conflicted space, like wanting to help migrants, but also having a pretty limited range, um, in which they can help them just because of how security focused our governments are at this point around that issue. It's the lottery of life to some degree. I mean, my, like, uh, Sorry, I'm a, I feel like I'm going into geography teacher mode right now, but it's. it's well, I, feel, uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm learning. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, you know, migration is a undeniable reality of our world today. Like, you know, people, people are moving and migrating for many reasons. I, I just migrated across thousands of miles, you know, internally back, you know, within the United States, but I also, you know, frequently cross borders, you know, for example, like on any given European tour i might you know cross borders 10 or 15 or 20 times and uh you know uh that's i'm I, i'm a privileged citizen that and that i get to do that i have a passport that allows me to do that and you know it's 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 not it's hardly something that i would even be like conscious of if i hadn't been like studying this stuff you know but it's it's uh it's not something that we earned that is it no yeah it's it's not and i think it's so important to uh and this is this is one of the reason I, reasons i love teaching geography classes or teaching around issues of migration because it creates a space in which we can kind of think deeply about who migrants are and why people why people leave their home the different reasons for that like you know like why people for example in the country that I live in the United States like why are uh caravans of migrants coming through uh coming through Latin America and Central America and why why might people like be leaving uh certain areas of Mexico to come to the United States like even why, why are places in the United States like you know how do we benefit from uh the labor of people uh who are undocumented in this country you know there's there's a lot of things around it that uh I think in the political discourse that's just around uh quote unquote whether they're legal or illegal uh which I try not to use those terms but uh, you know that's that's uh that's a sort of uh gross simplification of a extremely human and extremely difficult and uh embodied process of migration that um I think it's like you know we're we're all human beings and we're all like you know many of us are motivated by a desire to be with family or to, to provide for the people that we love or, you know, to continue to, uh, you know, to, to better our lives. And, uh, you know, like just by the nature of where we were born, there's a really pretty massive geography of inequality around that in the world. So that's, uh, that, that's really what kind of motivated me to like start doing my PhD actually like kind of just being bothered by that reality and wanting to understand it more deeply 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's been quite interesting. I I'm thinking of a particular moment when I was going through the, uh, the Amsterdam airport with my, uh, guitar cases in hand and like stressed out about getting to my flight on time. And I actually like walked by the area of the airport that uh, I had talked to people about in my interviews that like people who are returning migrants who are returning from Europe, like get sent to. And, uh, it was a real moment for me of like, wow, I'm so like privileged, you know, I, I get to like travel around with my guitars and play music. And like, this is the area that people are like, who've given like everything to come to Europe or like having to go back home, you know? That's so strange. I had exactly the same experience in Amsterdam. I missed a flight once coming home. And then on the way out again, I saw the queue of people being detained and it was horrible. It was an awful sight. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of wild that we live in a world that is, uh, you know, borderless for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, like we globalization, I guess would be the technical term for that. We live in a globalized world, but, uh, for many people, borders like matter immensely and are, you know, huge factors in their lives. And yeah, that's, so that's, that's kind of, uh, you know, and I, I think even on my new record, there are some, some moments where I'm kind of reckoning with that stuff, hopefully not into, not in a, like, I don't know, just, it's, it's one of the things I think about a lot in terms of like what it means for me to, to be alive in this moment and for us as human beings to be living in relation to one another. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's, that would be an issue that probably like bleeds in certain ways into, well, certainly my academic life, but kind of bleeds into the, the sphere of music too uh in the writing even uh even beyond that instance in the airport that i just referenced where it was extremely apparent do you think this is a subject that comes down to the way that we're well first of all education and then as a big part of that the general communication or whether it's discussed in a language that someone such as myself would understand someone who's not a civil servant or a government official or has been trained specifically in that do you think that is what one of the solutions to a better world being being able to talk about migration in a way that we can all understand yes i think so i i here's here's what i would say to that i i don't think i have like i don't see myself as being like particularly wise or having like answers for the world on this topic but i i do i do believe that um like there are a lot of dimensions of migrate. Let's just take migration. Like there are a lot of dimensions of migration that are rarely considered um, in our societies and like political discourses, but I think are really important um, because if they were considered like the humanity of, of migrants and the humanity of the migration journey and like, you know, why people migrate and what they experience when they migrate, like those kinds of things, um, I'm I'm hopeful at least these these are somewhat dark political times to be saying this in especially after the you know you know <laughs> attack on the capitol building a few weeks ago in the United States and you know we we're we're in a fairly heavy time right now where a lot of people are angry um but I'm I'm hopeful that uh education at a fairly broad level can foster empathy you know like if we if we gain an understanding of where other people are coming from, uh, that we, our hearts will be a little softer and a little more open and a little more inclusive. Uh, 
you know, around an issue like migration, for example, um, and the way we talk about that and the policies that we desire for our country around that, you know, I hope that like better understanding of like the humanity of that could, uh, could create, create more empathy, um, for people and hopefully like change our society. That's, that's why I want to teach about it and why I believe it's important to, um, yeah, yeah. Well, we got pretty deep. Thanks for, uh, thanks for, um, you know, being up for, answering my questions i think sometimes that's the uh that's the scary thing about these big topics though i think it is you feel a bit vulnerable when you ask these questions oh no it's fine i I, i'm glad it's it's cool this it's it's actually uh this has been fun to think about how these two worlds of my life intersect it's it's been really valuable for me too thanks for the great questions (laughs) well look at us your album when the day leaves has just come out it's a masterful body of work my favorite song on it is No One Is Missing. I think it just it sounds it just sounds amazing. The noise floor on it is is incredible. What's your favorite song from the record? That's a great question. I I could way overanalyze this, so I'm just gonna tell you the first one that came to mind. <laughs> um I think it would be Mockingbird, which I actually released as a standalone single uh in the fall. So uh so it's out there on on the streaming services and whatnot now but it'll it'll be a part of the it is a part of the record as well um yeah i I think it i and i'm inclined to say it's my favorite one because it's if i pick up the guitar when i pick up my guitar at the house it's kind of the one that i most often start playing and want to want to play for myself and feel like feel a lot of resonance with when i play but it, it also um it was the song I wrote like maybe three or four days after we arrived to South Carolina. Most of the record I wrote before we moved here um, in the kind of months and year leading up to that move in Seattle. But uh, there were a couple songs, uh, including Mockingbird, that I wrote uh, once we'd arrived here before before recording began. And I, I think uh, that song is very much a sort of capsule, a time capsule or a timestamp maybe of like, how I was feeling in that moment and many of the, uh, many of the questions it's, it's a long song. It's like almost six minutes, I think, and has, uh, you know, quite a few verses that think about or that engage with different dimensions of my past and questions about the future. And, you know, the, the tensions and inherent in moving across the country and, you know, leaving people behind, but also joining, joining a new community. Uh, A lot of those, a lot of those, uh, kind of big, questions and issues that were swirling around at that moment of having just arrived here um that song when i when i listen to it now or when i play it now it feels uh very true uh and i guess real to to where i was at in that moment so i I think i uh that would probably be my favorite one for that reason that's the way to answer a question about your new record (laughs) (laughs) nice man thank you so much for the chat austin yeah thank you Austin Crane of Valley Maker, When the Day Leaves, is out now. If you're into any kind of folk music of all sorts, I'm pretty sure you're going to love it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, please go ahead and rate and review it and tell your friends it exists. Thank you, Austin, for coming on. Thank you, Amy at Prescription, for sorting this out. And go well. Have a lovely afternoon. Have a lovely rest of your week. See you next week. Cheers. I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side. Running around like a blue ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. Every blinking minute I've been on the go.
This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.